I mean, our Enneagram type does not lie. Like it is our constant invitation really to wholeness, having to open up to our essential true self that is unconditioned, that doesn't have to feel special, doesn't need to stand out, that has worth no matter what gets done or what doesn't get Mm, done. You know, mm. that is, that is the work of the Enneagram. That is the movement into virtue and this opening up to this beautiful kind of spiritual place of enough. Hey everybody, John Chisholm here. Welcome to the All the Best podcast. It's my own special blend of motivation and devotion designed to help you find all the best in life. I just believe there's always a way to make your life better. I want to help you get there. Nothing's going to be off limits in this show. We're going to talk to amazing people from all kinds of backgrounds, beliefs, and points of view. We're going to be bringing you insights, advice, and inspiration to guide you into the coolest chapters of your life and maybe help you actually enjoy your time here on planet earth so buckle up kids this is gonna be fun Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I want you to meet a great friend of mine, Katie Gustafson. Katie is a wife and a new mom. She's an expert in the Enneagram, a blogger and a speaker, and she has a thriving therapy practice here in the Nashville area. She shares very openly with me about her journey through cancer as she recovers from a double mastectomy and faces major reconstructive surgery. Katie and I are both fours on the Enneagram, and she shared some brilliant insights with me about how our personality types are an invitation from God to greater wholeness and better relationships, learning to live in the joy of the present moment, no matter what's happening around us or even to us. So set aside a little me time right now as we focus on mindfulness and self-care with my amazing friend, Katie Gustafson. Katie, so good to have you here. I've known you since you were probably around 12, yeah, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, our families have been very, very close. And now here, we'll just say some years later, you're, you're all grown <laughs> up, you're a wife yeah. and a really new mom, you're a therapist, and you have a practice offering Enneagram-focused coaching and therapy, which we want to hear all about today, yeah. but... I just want to start with the real current, Katie, if that's okay. And we'll get into the backstory and everything you're up to. But you have been through something that I'm sure is pretty much every woman's fear. Mm. Just this year, you've been through radical cancer treatment, Mm -hmm. uh, double mastectomy, reconstruction. Mm -hmm. What does it feel like to be you right now? Today, it feels great. This year has been completely upending. And it's felt really, the word foreign comes to my mind. I felt like I'm like not my own in a way with this cancer Mm. diagnosis and treatment and chemo. It's been 
a total surrender, mm. which has felt scary. Sure. <laughs> yeah. How could it not? You're losing yeah. part of your body. Yeah. You know, important parts right, too. So right. what does that mean? You, you felt like you're not your own through this process. You know, I think we all, to a certain degree, have this like illusory idea of control in our lives. We have this idea that we're in the driver's seat, right? It is so scary. It is, I mean, you know, it's, it's a part of your, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's like a part of your body that characterizes our femininity, Yeah, you right. know, our uh, Ability to nourish, right? you know, like this part of us that, you know, I guess I'd just taken for granted my whole life. And man, I miss it, you know, and the reconstruction will happen. It's kind of, I'm in this long process of having that completed. And, you know, it, it was funny when I was, <laughs> I think part of my coping mechanism was through humor about getting insurance to pay for a boob job. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> you know, I was like, woohoo, like how, when do you get that in life? Exactly. You know, and I just, that was obviously before the double mastectomy, and I, I had no idea how it would feel to, to lose this part of my body. And I was quickly sobered up in that and, and mm. got far less cocky with it and and, you know, whereas right. there is always hope in what they can do in terms of reconstruction, you know, it, it really did, it, I had to grieve it and I'm still grieving it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something that you just, okay, a month has gone by and now we've, you know, we've dealt with it. Yeah. Like getting over a cold or even, you know praise God, recovering from COVID sure. or that type thing. It's, this is a part of your story forever mm -hmm. now. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I love this idea, you know, that it doesn't define me, you know, but it is part of my story mm. and there's a difference and really standing in the middle of my story, owning it. And as Brene Brown says, being able to write a brand new ending, you know, that's, that's where I'm wanting to go. Well, in one of your blogs, you wrote, I've spent my whole adult life in the pursuit of wholeness, integration, looking to find the solution to my own brokenness and ongoing battle with depression and anxiety. And that was my story for a long time. I let the pain of sadness and victimhood define me while concurrently searching for something out there that would solve the problem in here. Mm. Now, I know your family, and I know, I know how you grew up uh, in a Christian home. Yeah. So why all the brokenness? Mm. That's such a good question. From an early age, I had this deep, deep sense of inner deficiency and inadequacy, kind of like I didn't fit in. I didn't get the memo. Everyone else got it. I didn't get it. Just this feeling of kind of showing up a day late underdressed to the mm, ball, you know? Mm. <laughs> and it was pervasive, honestly. Like 
I was a ser- kind of at times like serious kid and a really thoughtful kid, a very sensitive kid and really felt things at such on such a deep deep level. I don't I don't know exactly where it all comes from. You know, there's definitely been trauma in my own life as a child and yet I just I I really gravitate. I remember you know, 10 or 11, I just started to kind of construct a picture of myself that was incredibly negative. And that's around the same time that I started playing around with an eating disorder that got really out of control. And and that to me was such an outward expression of, of an inner deep, deep depression. Mm. I think part of its personality, you know, I think that's why the Enneagram has made such a huge impact on me is because when I've found the Enneagram, it really explained why I was the way I was and why I kind of gravitated to this kind of type four personality structure. It unlocked so many answers that I had been searching for for so long. Mm. And I think that's part of the reason I just wanted to throw my life into working with this both in my own journey, in my own life and healing, but also with clients and private practice. You know, as I started working with a therapist in high school, I was in recovery for an eating disorder and and really experienced a lot of healing, thankfully, in that sense. I really understood that, again, that was a symptom. It wasn't about food. It wasn't about an eating disorder. It's really about just a symptom of something broken deep, deep inside. And, you know, I was diagnosed with just chronic depression in my early 20s. And so I remember going to one of my favorite therapists or slash psychiatrist. She was also prescribing me medication and she she shared her own story and said, you know, I will probably be taking Zoloft for the rest of my life. And she said, don't think at all that that is a sign of weakness. Uh, my hunch is that you may have to do something similar to take care of your own mental health for the long haul. She said, I'm not, I'm not, saying that, but she right. said, you know, be open to that. It's okay. Sure. And that was really so life-giving for me to hear that from an MD, from somebody who is a psychiatrist and also just had such a huge impact on my life. So yes, the Enneagram helped me, get, it gave me a structure to work with my depression because I've been trying my whole life to, to just run from it, right? To get away from it. Because I was so ashamed of it and I hated it. And so... Just make it go away. Just go away. Get healed of it. Yeah, right. And the Enneagram and and just the incredible kind of psycho-spiritual tool that it is really helped me to work with depression, not try to work against it. That's made all the difference for me. You know, it's it's been to, again, own it as part of my story, not let it define me and learn how to allow those big feelings to come, allow them to be there, name them, name them, get take some of that power back from them, right? And and allow them kind of like waves in the ocean to kind of kind of pass, you know? And knowing that, you know, I love this idea that no feeling is final. You know, as fours, I think we could be so attached to our feelings. And learning how to work with my feelings, not against them, mm. has just been really, really helpful. It's really good. We're both number fours. Yes, we on are. On the Enneagram, which means 
what? Fours are typically called the romantics and the artists. We feel things really deeply, sensitive, often creative, can be kind of moody, a little dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) But we have this deep need for meaning and this deep need for beauty in our lives. And, you know, I think part of our superpower is really connecting the world with this greater sense of beauty and pathology and meaning and can really feel misunderstood. That's kind of one of the cornerstones of being a type four is just this pervasive feeling of being misunderstood. And again, that kind of longing for something just ideal and and better, you know, kind of grass is always greener. Right. But very creative can really bring just a, a sense of creativity and aesthetic to the world that makes it such a special place. I'm a big believer that when we keep bumping up against the same issues, which in our personality type is typically the motivating need that keeps us stuck in our passion and in our, our personality structure, you know, this need to feel special, this need to stand out and the envy that kind of goes along with it when we don't feel that way. I had come to a really good place in my life. And then I met my husband and I find out that his first wife is Faith Hill. And oh boy, did, did my just sense of inadequacy (laughs) and envy, it just flew all over me. I can't imagine. I was, I was like, no, no anybody but her. (laughs) She's She's rich. rich. She's She's famous. (laughs) She's such like an amazing talent singer, you know? And so it's so this, it, it's, it does. I mean, our Enneagram type does not lie. Like it is our constant invitation really to wholeness, these difficult Mm. things in our personality, you know, and, and my journey of, and your journey, our journeys of having to open up to our essential true self that is unconditioned, that doesn't have to feel special, that doesn't need to stand out, that has worth no matter what gets done or what doesn't get Mm, done. You know, mm. that is, that is the work of the Enneagram. That is the, the movement into virtue and this opening up to this beautiful, kind of spiritual place of enough, right? The immortal diamond, just the real life within that's not clouded by ego or by time or by possessions or accomplishments, but that total deep oneness with God, if you will, the real true inner self. We call spirit, but I think we've been robbed of the that truth. That's so beautiful what you just said, that the Enneagram is an invitation to wholeness as we grapple Mm -hmm. with the personality, which is all intertwined with ego. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so the things that we are addicted to for our ego's sake, Mm -hmm. that's not the real Katie. That's not the real John. That's, you know, that's just that soul part, if you will, which can be, you know, it's that mix of good and bad, I Mm -hmm. guess. But how do you get to that place with the Enneagram and and with your your spiritual life, your meditation practices and your disciplines? 
how do you, when you say it's an invitation to wholeness, mm-hmm. how, what's beyond the knowledge part? Yeah. Cause I know a lot about, yeah. you know, number sure. four is my wife is a nine. And my husband is a nine. Wow. Well, wow. Do you think we were just attracted to nines? Because I do. we thought they were going to fix us, didn't we? Well, and they're so dang grounded. No, right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They're so good for us. Peacemakers. Yep. And yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> I bring all the drama. I yeah, bring all same. and have for oh, all these man. years. But uh, I love it. So how do you get past the knowledge part right. to that wholeness you're talking about? Well, I think it's really using that the Enneagram as a as a tool, as an application in our lives. And a big part of that is just mindfulness practice. You know, it's it's moving from the reactivity of our ego and our personality to a responsiveness Mm. that is not based in emotion. You know, Viktor Frankl has this great quote, between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. And in that space lies our freedom and power. Mm. So I think the work of the Enneagram is really finding deep within that space where we can witness our lives as they happen. We can be observers of our experience and choose out of responsiveness what we really desire as opposed to reacting all over the place out of emotion. And I think part of that work is really developing some type of mindfulness or meditation practice. It goes hand in hand with really doing the work of our of our of the enneagram because it invites us into more self-awareness of our patterns right it helps us slow down our process and do i have to become a buddhist to <laughs> practice mindfulness or no thankfully i mean there's so many ways to practice i mean m- mindfulness is such a broad term i think it's just it's just being conscious in our moment-to-moment daily experience, Mm. right? It's inviting this kind of openness and curiosity into our everyday lives with with consciousness that allows for us to be awake, Mm. right? So doing the work of the Enneagram is really just kind of falling awake, right? It's, 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 coming awake to our limiting beliefs and our limiting behavior patterns and, and thoughts, right? So we can choose something better and something true that's not stuck in this rut of ego and personality. So, I mean, for me, to your, to your, to your question in terms of becoming a Buddhist, I use lots of different modalities of, of, of meditation. Sometimes it's just kind of contemplative prayer, a contemplative kind of prayer kind of practice that I is very unstructured. Sometimes it looks like a 10-minute headspace guided meditation. I love Tara Brock, who is just an incredible, just brilliant mind and author. And she's actually a, a Buddhist and she is and in just an incredible meditation teacher, but she has all all types of meditations online that you can access for free. But it's just it's it's learning whatever works for you. You know, sometimes I'll I'll just go out into the woods and practice being present in nature. 
I think sometimes it's as simple as that. Maybe listening to a worship song or maybe listening to classical music or whatever. You know, there's so many ways. I think we've got to find something that works for us. Right. One of my favorite kind of definitions for mindfulness, it's it's from more of an Eastern perspective, but one of the definitions for mindfulness, one of the translations for mindfulness is actually heartfulness. In my mind, I'm like, that is so scriptural. It's bringing our whole hearts into the moment, bringing all of ourself into the moment and being available, That's beautiful. being awake. I heard Ian Cron say this, and I think it's important. I think it's so true too. I think really every major kind of world religion teacher, you know, going back through the mystics have really had one message in common, and that is to wake up, Right. Like to, to wake up, mm. to kind of come out of our slumber mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and wake up to reality, to life, right, to the now, to what's happening around us. Well, as we kind of draw this to a close, and this has been so rich today, mm. and I knew that it would be, I'd like to just throw a couple of quotes back at you yeah. that I just love from you. And maybe you could just wrap up with a couple of comments. Oh, they're my quotes? Yeah, they're your quotes. Oh, yeah, gosh. Yeah. Self-discovery is a winding journey, not a mere moment in time. It's about deepening knowledge and understanding. In fact, it's really about self-befriending. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that phrase, self-befriending? Yeah. Yes. I have thinking about that that journey in my own life gives me kind of the truth tears, even thinking about it. I think so many of us spend most of our lives playing against ourselves and again, hustling and striving and shaming ourselves into submission of some kind. Self-compassion has been, it has been a lifeline. And self-compassion is the process of of self-befriending. Self-compassion is treating yourself like you would someone you dearly love. It's speaking to Mm. yourself Mm. the way that you would speak to your child when they're behaving, of course, or (laughs) a dear friend in need. It's, It's seeing the need and the brokenness in ourselves. And instead of flinching and moving away, it's moving towards ourself and showing kindness. So as to alleviate our pain. It's not trying to fix. It's trying to understand. You know, I believe that we're not meant to be fixed. We're really meant to be understood. And so self-befriending is really that self-compassionate journey of self-understanding. To me, it's the heart of God for us is to know the fullness and to really experience the fullness of life, and the fullness of who he's created us to be. I think before we set the world on fire, we kind of have to like ourselves. (laughs) You said, we make choices, big and small, based on the story we're living out of. If we're suffering, we must change more than surface tactics or behaviors. In order to heal and transform, we've got to get to the root of the problem. We've got to understand our story. 
I think that's really what we've been talking about today mm-hmm. with the Enneagram and the personality preferences, mm-hmm. your story of struggling even as a young child, mm-hmm. eating disorders, looking for answers, yeah. becoming a therapist and now helping others, and yet knowing that you're still in your own healing story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't ever want to go far from that place. I don't ever, I don't ever want to lose sight of what brokenness feels like because I think when we do, we forget our need for God. We forget our flawed humanity. You know, I think it's I think I think life is is so much about the both and instead of the either or, you know. It's being able to sit in that tension of hope and longing, having hope, having joy, knowing who we are, and and still this longing for more. I don't ever want to get too far from that place because I think there's a lot of life there, and I think that's how we relate to the world around us. Katie Gustafson, thank you. Mm, Thank you, John. Thanks for hanging out with me today on All the Best. If you like the show, be sure to share it out with your family and friends on your social media and drop me a line at john at johnchism.com. I would love to hear from you. I also want to invite you to jump over to my site right now to sign up for my free 31-day motivational email series. It's designed to help you go for all the best in life. If you're needing some real change, fresh motivation and inspiration, this could be just the thing to get get you going. You can find it at johnchism.com and I'll see you next time.